Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, my name is Anne Bloom. For those who don't know me, I am the head of platform at Angular Ventures. You're in for a special treat today. This is our very first Angular Insights session. Um, it's with Uri Baruchin, and we'll be covering startup branding. Thanks, Anne, and thanks, Uri, and thanks to all of you guys for joining. Um, I'll spare you a long intro to Angular, um, aside from just saying that we're an early stage seed fund investing in enterprise companies across Europe and Israel. Um, uh, I've known Uri for many years. My first encounter with Uri was actually when he came to do the branding work for another VC I worked for. Um, and I was thrilled that when I set up Angular, I was able to get his help to do the Angular branding. Um, but he's been working with startups uh, and large companies around the world for many, many years. Um, he's worked with some of the world's leading brand agencies. He's worked with very large blue chip clients, uh, Nestle and Sony. Um, he's often working with larger organizations as a strategist to the strategist. Uh, that, those are companies like Deloitte, uh, Kantar, and Bain. Um, at one point, he won the grand prize, uh, the Grand Prix Drum Award for the best brand uh, for his Made in the UK campaign. Um, and he also side hustles uh, teaching a strategy masterclass at the School of Communication Arts in London. Um, I've seen his work um, on our portfolio. Uh, in a couple of cases, uh, it's super impressive, very, very thoughtful. Um, and we're also uh, delighted to have him as an advisory partner as part of our Angular Ventures team. Uh, so without any further ado, let me introduce Uri. Uri, take it away. Thank you very much for this uh, introduction, Gil. That's uh, very gracious. Um, I think, uh, I mean, it's a really great honor to open this series, but I think we have uh, um, to start by addressing the virus-sized elephant in the room. Obviously, everyone, uh, COVID is on everyone's mind. And I think some people kind of like think, oh, you know, branding, marketing, that's the first thing to go out the window in, in this kind of situation. Um, but, but actually, you know, I've, uh, so I've been, one of the ways I deal with the pandemic is that I've been obsessing with a lot of content and I actually write, uh, I write a weekly review of the best media that I can find about the pandemic. And like everyone else, I'm trying to think about what's going to change and, and what is the new normal? Is this the new normal? Is the new normal what's happening six months away? Those kind of things. And, um, one of the things that have helped me focus my thinking is this quote from Jeff Bezos, who says that he frequently gets asked what's going to change in the next 10 years. And that is a very interesting question and a very common one. He almost never gets the question, what's not going to change in the next 10 years? And he says, I submit to you that the second question is actually the more important of the two because you can build a business strategy around the things that are stable. And I think that is in all this change and all the things that are moving, it's very easy to forget that actually some things don't change and we can build strategies around the things that don't change and keep those strategies flexible to deal with, with the things that the world is uh, throwing at us at the moment. Um, you know, the, I believe that staying strategic and being strategic is, is a way of being resilient. It's, you know, it's a, signs of, it's a sign of resilience but it's also a way of practicing resilience because if you stay strategic, you are essentially thinking about the future. You're believing in the possibility of a better future. And that's very important. Now, as you do that, of course, some things are out of your control. It's like being in a, tr in a roller coaster train on rails. You need to just hold on tight and hope you don't completely go off, uh, off course. Some things are the exact opposite of that. Some things are like, um, 
chariots that you're driving and need to hold tight and steer very carefully and keep a high level of control. But I think quite a lot in this sort of disruption is in the middle. It's a bit like surfing. You're riding a force of nature. You don't know if it's going to throw you off or you'll be able to ride it, but you, you know, you do what you can. And you know, if it's a bad way, if you wait for the next one, maybe you come the next you come back the next day and you get a better wave and you make the most of opportunity. But remember that what remains unchanged is as important as what changes. And I would like you to think of branding as one of the unchanging things, one of those things that if you sort it out and do it well, then it will ensure some level of, uh, uh, some level of success. Um, and there are five things I want you to know, and I'll try to go through them as quickly as I can. Um, I mean, I don't know exactly how much about the basics of branding people know. I didn't want to turn this into a branding 101, but I'll go through some fundamental principles in order for people uh, to at least get the idea of how I tend to think about brands. So the first thing to remember is to think about, I think for a startup especially, is to think about your brand as your DNA compiled in the full sense of compiling, you know, something that is long and sprawling and complicated and multifaceted, uh, multifaceted, maybe also hiding a couple of bugs. Never mind. You compile it, you distribute it, you replicate it. Um, because essentially, you know, it's very simple. On the left, we have a product. This product has attributes and details or service. We have a company. That company has a vision. There's a lot of detail involved. At the end of the day, we want people to like us and to buy into us. But the problem is that the first rule of marketing is, and I think Seth Godin once said, it should be on the wall of every marketing manager. The first rule is no one cares. So no one cares. And because no one cares, no one's going to pay attention to what you're doing. And especially for tech startups, quite often that is something quite new that takes time to get your head around, that takes time to get what it's about. So then what we, uh, what we try to do is we try to turn it into a story. And a lot of branding in the, early, uh, in the early stages where you're still building a brand platform is about defining what the story is. Because a story is something people naturally are inclined to pay more attention to and understand more easily. Now, you can call that story uh, our purpose, our vision, our elevator pitch, even a, an elevator pitch is, is a story. All those ways are a way to take your company uh, or your product or your service and try to boil them into something that is easier to communicate to your audience. It's, it's still a story. Now, even a story is not focused enough because a story requires people to already be listening and lean in. What you want to create is some sort of hook, some sort of an entry point for them into your system, your, your, your fuller, bigger story. And that's where you have to boil things into an idea. And that's all really a brand platform is. It's boiling your story into an idea, having a clear definition of what the story is and what the idea is. Once that happens, this is the point to make a very important distinction, and I've seen even um, I've basically seen boards of multi-billion companies uh, making that confusion between brand and branding. 
So essentially, your brand, you can think about it like your reputation, right? Your brand is what in the heads of your target audiences. Branding is anything external that you do in order to influence what's in the, uh, inside the head of those people. And that's why what you need to do is to create a whole system of tools around that central ideas where it's always, you know, the, the idea is always there, even if it's modulated to different audiences for different touch points, different channels, different forms of content. And it's important to remember that we're not talking just about users, customers, clients. We're also talking about VCs, media, your team, uh, prospective talent that you're looking to, that you're competing for in the market, any sort of, of partners. All those things need to somehow stay focused on the idea. And quite often when I work on branding with startups at an early stage, we start with the VC deck. We, we start with the pitch deck because that is your attempt to tell your story to a VC. And of course, that the way you tell that story is different between how you tell it to a VC, how you tell it to a customer. But... Um, it's still the central idea needs to be there, to be clear, to come through. And that's part of the, you know, the art and science of, of branding. Now, the second point I want to make is, you know, branding is, is sometimes one of the stereotypes is like it's the prima donna of marketing, right? We talk about our vision and our purpose and we create those beautifully designed things. I don't see it that way. I think, you know, it needs to work and you need to make it work hard for you. That's the point of branding. The point of branding is to remove friction from your communications with the market, from uh, the processes you do in order to create content and create marketing content and create sales content. Branding is there to reduce the friction. And friction is a key word at the moment because if you think about what's happening right now with the recession, what's gonna define how quickly we recover is the fact that a lot of friction has been added to all our markets and all the situations. And that's going to be like a gravity pulling us back as we try, as we start uh, try recovering. So make the branding work because it works. Because it works, here's the Brand Z, that's the world's largest database of, of brands. And this is them tracking their strong brand portfolio against the market. Um, by the way, you can go to the Brand C website. It's in real time and you can play with it. For example, when I was looking at it and I updated it yesterday, I simply zoomed into the last couple of months. And I think what you can see is not that it stays ahead of the indexes. I think it's also interesting. You know, there's been a lot of talk about a V-shaped recovery, a U-shaped recovery. I don't think anyone thinks that there's a V-shaped recovery, but you can see that on the brands, uh, strong brands tracker, the, um, the decline is less uh, vertical and the emergence is, uh, is slightly uh, quicker on the other hand. So I think that's quite, uh, that's quite interesting. Um, now, I know that startups sometimes think, oh yeah, but that doesn't really matter to us because we, we're much more about this technology that we have that is going to disrupt the market. Um, so this technology that we have that's going to disrupt the market, but actually with another analysis, they've done uh, the same company, Cantor Millward Brown, now the world's largest marketing research group. Um, 
they checked companies that are mostly about disruption and companies that do more to make themselves different and distinctive in the market, which is one of the things you do with branding. And they saw that, yeah, even if your disruption is high and that means your value change will outpace the market on average, on average and this is among the most successful uh, brands, this is, by the way, is filtered down to B2B brands. And a lot of what I'm going to show is filtered to B2B brands because I'm familiar with the Angular focus and the kind of people we probably have on this call. So if you're taking care of your brand and the the message of disruption in your, in your technology, then that 11% on average becomes 28%, which is uh, really good things. Um, another thing is to remember that your branding is going to drive behaviors and it's going to drive the kind of behaviors you're trying to create. Um, we have this vision of B2B clients, like they are super rational and technology business. It's all rational sale. It's all about the kind of like activation-based things and, and generating leads and then converting them. I'm not saying all those things aren't important, but the brand makes a huge difference. So there's a long list of, um, of studies looking at the effect of brand leadership on pricing and how it helps you command more price and increase market share and protect from price competition. But also, interestingly, you know, 88, uh, you know, 86% of B2B buyers in this specific research admit that they see no real difference between suppliers and the messages on product features and function. But 60% of those who felt a high brand connection with a company were more likely to buy their products or service, even if the price was higher. Um, your audience feels the branding. Your audience can actually feel it, right? You know, emotions are actually more important in B2B just as they are more important in, in B2C. So this is from the IPA data bank, which is the largest database of case studies of uh, campaigns that had a high level of efficiency, simply because the IPA is the body that uh, awards the EFIs, which are the marketing effectiveness awards. And what you can see is that if they compare in their da database, the most effective campaigns, those that had more emotion than rational, an equal level of emotion and rational or, or a lower level of emotion and rational, then those that had more emotion or equal levels are the majority when you look at, uh, at how that affects the levels, uh, the mix of effective uh, campaigns in their database, um, which basically means if you want to enter the, the, this envied club of the most effective uh, marketing campaigns in history, you're better off betting heavily on the side of emotion. And when you isolate just the most very large business effects uh, out of that database um, of case studies, then those who go for fame, which has you know rational emotion and fame uh, bundled into it, it really outpaces things that are purely rational, and it makes sense, you know, because with B two B clients, once they're committed, they become more connected. So this is from uh, a survey they did where they asked the same people. 
they asked them, uh, you know, once they bought into the B2B brands on the right hand side, ask them about how connected are they to B2C brands. And what you see is that the level of commitment and connectedness with B2B brands is higher. And it's very simple to know why. You know, if I decide to go with Oracle for my company, it's something that has an impact on my career. It's something that, that a lot more people will be involved with. And it's something I'm going to be tested on further down the way. And, you know, as opposed to whether I decided to get something from Target or from uh, Walmart. Five, the final thing I want to, the, fi the final point I want to make is that uh, across the funnel and across campaigns, branding works. So sometimes people think about brand as, as bundled with advertising and something that just generates leads up the, up the funnel. But what you can see is that actually, if there's a high brand connection further down the, the funnel, the effect it has on consideration purchase and paying a premium is amazing. The factors of being more likely to recommend the brand and more likely to stand up for the brand in case of issues, um, those are really, really important things. And the mix between those activation campaigns and most startups, especially those who do software service or platform and those kind of things, there's a lot of activation campaigns that are all about just generating leads. But actually, again, when you look at the optimum budget split of the most successful campaigns in the most efficient campaigns in history, you actually see that having brand in the mix is still highly, highly uh, recommended. At this point, I know a lot of people can like sitting there in the audience and say and think, but it's different from startups. So I'm going to just uh, put out the list of excuses startups make to say why we should, we will, yeah, we'll get to brand. We know it's important. Some of us has MBAs. Come on. Uh, in uh, England, they say uh, teaching grandma to suck eggs for some reason. Um, but yeah, we know it. We know it's important, but we'll do it later. It, the time isn't now. We'll do it later because right now we don't have time. So I just want to say that um, the earlier the earlier you're going to do it, the less time it actually is going to take you. When I work with startups at a very early stage on those kind of things, um, one or two days of the founder's time can get to the fundamentals at quite a good uh, quality. Um, it's too early, um, often uh, startups will say, and I will just say it's never too early to manage your reputation. And if you don't manage your reputation, it will happen anyway, because there's this element of the brand, as opposed to branding that is gonna be in the mind of your audience, it's gonna be there. So try and influence it, because if you don't do it, by the way, it's quite possible that your competitors are going to do it, and that's not good. Uh, we don't have money, and fair enough. You know, um, I've I've worked on brand. I've worked on brand programs that were, you know, over a million pounds uh, in in terms of uh, the fees paid. However, be uh, the fundamentals. You can do some of the fundamentals for the kind of like sums in the low four digits once you get even to the low uh, uh low five digits you can do pretty amazing things 
Yes, if you then want to have loads of content, loads of touch points, uh, create a lot of really amazing assets and use animation in 3D and a high level of craft, those things, you know, they, they, people notice them and appreciate them. And, you know, when we look at big companies with big B2B uh, budgets, they do things that are just as beautiful as what uh, consumer brands are doing. But for a small startup, you can get some of the fundamentals for, for really reasonable sums of money that, uh, you know, if you're beyond seed investment, it will be a small sum. If you're beyond round one, typically, it'll be a tiny sum relatively to what you're going to get from it. And another thing to keep in mind is that good and bad, you know, good design and bad design quite often cost nearly the same. So just go for the good ones. And earlier is, is often cheaper. Uh, another thing uh, founders often ask me is that what if we have to pivot two months from here? Will it survive a pivot? Now, of course, that's a very personal question to ask, and, and that requires working directly with a startup. But I would say that typically from about, you know, it's over 20 years now that I've been working with startups, even before starting to work in branding, um, most pivots, a, a large part of your brand system will survive a pivot, and typically it will survive all mini pivots. Now, we all know that even mini pivots would feel like a big pivot when you're looking at it from the inside, but bring in someone external and they will often tell you it's okay, it's still largely a similar audience. Even if it's a different audience, their values are similar, so it survives. And finally, very often, uh, people say, how can we brand when we're not sure about our name? All I can say is, you know, do it, do the process, do that minimal process that that's going to require one to two days from the founders. Um, and, and, you'll, and you'll know, you want to know if, you, if your name isn't good enough, you better know it now. Uh, if you need a new name, it's not the end of the world. There are ways to generate names and, and get good names. And by the way, sometimes you can change the name and only evolve your branding. You don't have to change everything when you change the name. And, you know, wouldn't you rather know if you need to change your name uh, or not? So, you know, sort it out early, get it right, make it work um, is the overall uh, message here. And now I am happy to uh, answer any 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 questions? So the first question we have is from Ian from Ireland. He's in the food industry. And you touched a little bit on this earlier, but he was interested in learning um, both how early do you think you should take into consideration how you want people to perceive the brand that you're working on? And also he asked if you could give brand examples from the startups and existing companies. Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of the... A lot of the startups that we know and love figured out what their story was and what they're about quite early, even if it included a, a, a pivot. Like even if I think of Flickr, and I'm sorry, I know they didn't end up where we all thought they would when they were there, but once they understood who they are and came up with, with the right uh, identity around it and the right story around it, they grew very fast. I think um, Evernote is a good example that I like giving because everybody knows that product. You know, when they were just starting, they were going up against 
well-established product and absolutely a well-loved product from Microsoft called OneNote. Probably, you know, OneNote doesn't get, uh, I mean, Microsoft doesn't get a lot of love, but interestingly, OneNote was a, pro a product that got a lot of love. But Evernote were, were so clear about this remember everything with the elephant mark and the fact that this is about remembering everything across all your platforms. It's just kind of like it, it becomes oil on the wheels of the evolution of a, of a brand. And the same goes for Airbnb or Uber or Spotify, all brands that have very clear and very well-designed, quite, you know, almost slick um, um, brands. But also it's not just the way it looks, it's, it's the story behind it and what it means almost like, you know, we can like intuitively can know what they stand for. Awesome. So we actually have a question from somebody in the audience. So Camille, um, if you, I've unmuted you. So if you would like to ask your question for Ori, that's your chance. Hi, Camille. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Great. Uh, hi, thank you very much for the presentation. And I got a question. Um, is there any template or a scheme that you would suggest uh, for startups to work on their brand and branding process? I mean, a template like Lean Canvas that would answer all the right, right. So, questions. So, you know, I, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, a lot of uh, startups are familiar with the proposition, uh, with the value proposition canvas from Strategizer. Uh, which is exactly. a very useful tool uh, in order to kind of like collect some of the data you need to create a brand platform. Um, however, the problem with uh, the value proposition canvas is that it kind of still keeps you within laundry list territory. So really long list of paid points and solutions rather than boil everything to this problem solution story. Um, there's a variety of templates out there. I almost shun templates, to be honest. I tend to, out of my conversation, uh, out of my conversation with, with startups, we then realize whether we are the kind of startup that needs a manifesto or the kind of startup that needs to talk more about their vision for the future or their purpose as a company. What's more important is understanding what's behind this. And what's behind this is very simply an idea, a story. So, you know, almost like a title, a paragraph. You know, if you want to call that paragraph a purpose, if you want to call it a positioning statement, there are all sorts of things you could do. I just want to make sure that everybody knows what the story is about. And then usually a couple of keywords that can drive the look and feel and the personality are also quite important. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, can, I, can I ask one question more? Um, that's up to Anne, she's the- Of course, master. go for it. Okay, okay, yeah. So, because um, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm really into tech startups. I'm running a really high tech startup and we are not really, uh, as the founders, we're all technolo technological people and we're not really good uh, at, you know, uh, creating stories uh, and, and uh, you know, creating marketing, yeah. marketing uh, stories and, and trying to sell them. So we're, we, we're not quite conscious on when we should communicate the story or whether we should communicate 
um, our technical values. So you can't communicate it, tech. You can't communicate without creating stories, right? We don't, under, you know, we're not machines. You can't communicate technical values. Mm-hmm. You have to somehow say, you have, you know, you have to say why are those technical values important? That means boiling those technical values to a story, a story about the benefit. Uh, I mean, one useful way of thinking about it, about marketing in general, is what would life be like once your target audience buys into whatever it is that you're selling? What is their life going to be like? This is a story you have to tell them because just shoving a spec sheet in the in yeah, 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 yeah. is never going to work. So you're saying we're not so good at that. And my answer would be, first, I think you are probably better than that than you think because have you got any investment in your startup so far yeah yeah we got okay so you you told your story quite well at least once yeah to the investors (laughs) but still you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so but is there any book you could you would actually recommend for a startup startup founder to just read and which would change his perception on this thing about branding I'm not quite sure, but I love good strategy, bad strategy as an overall way of thinking about the big picture and understanding okay. what brand strategy is about. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you, Camille, for your question. So we have a question now from Alina, and she's asking if there are any common mistakes that startups make with their branding. Um, yes, I would say I would say the first common mistake is to ignore it for quite a long time. The second most common mistake is to think, to to just waste time and money on placeholders where you can actually, for the same amount of time and money invested, have something quite good from a very early stage. Even if you go back to it, even if you end back rebranding, placeholders are pointless, are pointless. You do something, do it right. Awesome. And I think we actually now have a question from Gil. Yeah, I want to ask you, Uri, this, this reflects some of our conversations as well. How do you know when you're done? In other words, you start a branding process that could be sort of an endless thing. And I, I sometimes as, a, as an investor see companies where I, I sort of have this gut feeling that they're probably spending too much time on branding. Um, yeah. how, does a, how does a founder know when they're finished? Well, when, they, when they've done enough branding work? Yeah, well, probably the you know the answer is when you're very tired and it's bedtime, bedtime, and then you wake up the next day and you keep working. It's you know, I don't want to say that the work. Oh, okay, let, let's say that the the managing your brand is not something that ever ends. Specific branding exercises come to their end. The time to basically, uh, you know, once you have a fundamental system, the time to go back and look at the tools and wonder whether there's more stuff that requires development, whether that is simply adding tools or it is reconsidering the overall strategy, that the overall brand strategy is simply when, you know, is simply when you feel that you have marketing needs, you have market needs, the um, the state of things have moved on, has changed, your needs have changed, the needs of your audience. So you need to kind of like keep keep your finger on the pulse. And, and every now and then you have to kind of like reconsider things and evolve them. 
And uh, yeah, someone says branding work is never done. To a degree, that is right. Awesome. So we have a question from Breton Putter, and he's asking about how to stand out in the noise. Um, what are some key ways to generate brand relevance and interest? Uh, I, I think, you know, again, this is, it varies so much between different sectors and different industries and different audiences. But I will say this. Um, the marketing has a paradigm. It has a paradigm that works across everything. It's kind of like builds on what's known as the strategic triangle. Um, two things that, I mean, there are, there are three things that, you know, marketing has three win conditions, essentially. The first one is integrity. It means, you know, acting with integrity and credibility as a brand and as a company. The second one is relevance. You want to get as close as you can to your audiences and understand them well. And the third one is difference or distinction, depending on which kind of like sector you're in. But essentially, you want to get as close as you can to your audience and understanding their needs and wants and as far as you can from the competition. Now, I actually think that a lot of startups get the integrity part quite right. Where they fail is that often they're not focused enough on the audience, so they tell too much of their story uh, from their perspective instead of from being uh, client-focused and the perspective of the client. But maybe the worst sin is around distinction, is just how so much looks so similar and so boring. And I know it sounds almost like a frivolous answer, but don't be boring. You want to stand out, be creative, have, take your story and bring it to life in an interesting way through interesting opportunities. Don't follow what everyone else is doing. Do things that are quite unique and bring into it. And I actually think that's maybe one of the easiest ways to stand up is to bring some craft into it. So much uh, out there looks like, you know, those boring uh, um, image bank stock imagery, even just, you know, even, 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 even just using slightly better photography makes you stand out. There are so many ways to bring more craft into what you do and more creativity. And that's really what helps you stand out. So we have a question from Sri Ram. He's asking, what are some zero cost methods and ways, um, to establish brand presence for startups. A lot of startups are, are cash-strapped right now. Um, so oh, okay, okay. So zero, you know, everybody wants zero, uh, zero cost thing ideas now. And you know what? This was a question that I was asked a lot even before uh, the situation we're in. I think it's a red herring. I, it's going to be a slightly strange answer to that, but here's the thing, right? This is the kind of question that you can Google and you will be drowning in listicles with some really good ideas, although some of them will be quite obvious, like, you know, improve your organic SEO, you know, that's, uh, that can like zero cost at the basic level. And you can Google and find all your, of your, those checklists. Now, some favorite, uh, some personal favorite of mine, which aren't maybe zero cost, but are very low cost is it's never too early to start building email lists and, and communicate with them with some form of updates or content that is engaging and start building relationship. 
Um, active social listening, which a lot of the tools out there for active social listening are free or, or very cheap, and you can use that and, and build relationships. Um, but my problem with a lot of the advice out there about uh, zero-cost things is that they will tell you things like um, hype yourself in a press release or create an affiliation program or make videos. And my, my per personal favorite, they will tell you things like network personally. Now, I'm not saying those are bad ideas, but the problem is that what doesn't cost money usually costs time. And in a startup, especially during early days startup, spending time is a lot more expensive than you think. Because if you want to have a very nifty press release and now uh, uh, you sit for half a day and write a good press release where you could have spent that half day with your development team, that is not necessarily zero cost. It's the wrong way to look at, at it. What you need to think about is the impact things can have over time. Strategy is always thinking in time, past, present, and the different potential futures. So I actually think that spending time very early to get a solid brand platform is probably so valuable that the cost is near zero when you compare it with other things. You get some good people to help you. You build a minimal system that is efficient and where the work can be used and reused or just speed up things like content development or marketing, remove some uh, friction from your system. And, and those things will be more valuable than a lot of zero, you know, zero cost things that are actually quite expensive in terms of the time you find yourself spending on them, especially if they require you to, you know, learn things of, you know, I mean, do I think a CEO needs to be able to judge what a good press release is? Yes. Do I think they need to spend time learning how to write a good press release? That's insane. And yet, those a lot of the zero, zero cost things are those kind of advice. And I think that's a shame. So we now have Sophia, yes. who's going to join us to ask a quick question. So Sophia, if you don't mind just quickly introducing yourself, then going ahead and asking your question. Hi, Hi Sophia. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, Uri. Um, I'm Sophia. I'm a user, user experience um, designer working at Colabel Startup. Um, I, my question is, storytelling is a little bit hard to see. I know it's it, you, you, you can see it in a brand you you can feel it in a brand when a brand talks to you but it's still quite difficult to understand all the ramifications that storytelling has in a brand and if we if we think about a startup like um how how can we how can we create a storytelling story i mean this is a, a pretty big question but maybe we you could start with some examples of great storytelling uh in in tech companies and 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 maybe we or, or at least i could understand better like um examples of good storytelling i you know rather than give you examples of good storytelling because again you you if you if you google even the simplest keywords you will drown of exa in examples of good storytelling i would like to suggest what i think is the simplest starting point for most startups to think about storytelling 
and that is the problem solution structure. Um, so many, uh, so many pitch decks for VCs actually start by saying, "Here's the problem, and that, and why that problem is a huge market, and here's the solution." So most startups will usually already have a grain of the story, a germ of the story in that idea of there's a problem in the world that we're out to solve. The way to take that to the next level is to really shift it from the early uh, way that you usually think about that story as a startup, which is here's a problem and a solution, who would invest in it, into the who are actually the people who have this problem, what is actually going to be the, what is the current emotional pain that the problem is, is causing, and what is actually going to be the emotional impact once they discover us and we give them what we can give them. So, so it's, it's kind of like sh that's the first way to, to shift the story forward. But I think, you know, I would suggest almost as a template, problem solution is a very good starting point. Um, the other thing about stories, and this is kind of like classic storytelling, but again, without without defaulting into something that I think are problematic, like, you know, the seven plots of Hollywood and things like that, here's a, here's a, simple, here's a simple thing, right? All stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. If you want a good beginning, you need a good hook, and, the, and a good hook into a story is not necessarily always, you know, the first uh, point in the chronology of story of the story we can you know if you think about the way uh, guardians of the galaxy starts the first one uh one of the best i think storytelling hooks in uh, in recent cinema it doesn't start at the beginning it has a prologue and then it just jumps ahead so a good hook have a good hook at the beginning and the middle of the story you need to establish what is the key tension here and the reason why you need to establish what is the key tension and the key conflict here is in order for then the third part, the ending, come and have a satisfying payoff where you resolve that tension. So problem solution or beginning, middle, and end with a hook tension and resolving the tension in a satisfying way, two very simple ways to think about storytelling and evolve your storytelling as a startup. Thank you. Thank you. So we're now joined by Clive, who has a question. Hi, Clive. Uh, thanks very much. This was a terrific uh, presentation. Thank um, you. My sense is uh, that there is a symbiotic relationship between product and brand, and that Absolutely. in a sense, brand, product can be defined by brand. In other words, uh, potentially your brand story changes the whole way you look at your product. Is this correct? Have you had examples of something like that? Uh, right. Where so essentially you change your whole business because of your, 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 your brand definition. So this question takes me back because it takes me back to the reason why I ended up uh, being um, a brand strategist where actually I started with a role that was much closer to, be, to, uh, to product strategy. And I started my career in the early days of, uh, um, of the Tel Aviv uh, internet scene 
And what I was doing as, uh, well, it was called content director development at the time. But what I was doing, I was mostly working with product managers and, and project managers, helping them figure out what the strategy for the product should be. And I think that the lovely thing about that symbiotic relationship between brand and product is once you're clear about what, the, what your brand is about, what you try to make your brand is about, it really guides development. It really helps you. It really points you in the right direction in terms of creating priorities, in terms of choosing what features to invest in. And of course, you want all those things to come from the users, but quite often that's not the only thing that helps you prioritize. What also helps you prioritize is what sort of position you're trying to take in the market. And on the other hand, the way where product can feed into brand is the fact that you know the product is usually this interface between our solution and the people who are using that solution or are buying that solution. So um, that creates a really powerful feedback loop where by understanding product, you can understand actually what is the perspective of your audience and and that helps you kind of like evolve the the brand and of course sometimes we have cases where you realize that actually the use of the users is is not what you uh thought to begin with and then you know and then maybe you decide to pivot but then in order to communicate that pivot you need to go back to the brand and uh you need to go back to the brand and and help communicate what that pivot is i would just add i, I think that's a that's a, a very very interesting question and topic and 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 from my perspective it's it's i think often forgotten by ceos that your your feature prioritization decisions are in and of themselves branding decisions yeah yeah and 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 to touch on something that Uri said, you know, when a when a enterprise buyer is deciding to go with a startup, they're already putting themselves at massive risk. And part of what they are, the reason they're doing that is because they bought into some vision that you're going to be using your brand to communicate, but you're also using your features to communicate that. Yeah. And if you're if you sell them an amazing story about how forward looking you are because your branding guy did such a great job, but your product person prioritized the wrong features. Yeah. And then when they saw the feature list or the other people in the organization, when they started using the product and they saw the feature list, that didn't align with the brand, yeah. it becomes very challenging. So, so I think it's often forgotten that, that brand really needs to cut through all the decisions the company made. And for an early stage startup that's spending most of their money and most of their time, most of their man hours on product, mm. that, that's one of the best ways to actually reinforce the brand. I don't know if you want to add to that, Ori. I mean, it's not like, it's not just that your product defines your story. Um, I think, you know, reducing marketing to communications, to promotion, is one of the illnesses of contemporary marketing. You know, marketing needs to think about, you know, the four Ps and, and things like that. But, but you know, the price you choose is a part of your story, right? You know, pricing something, the different bundles you create for your service, for example, that is one of the first, but probably also one of the clearest ways of positioning yourself. Are you a budget thing? Are you a premium thing? What kind of people can afford this kind of thing? Um, and we can see those things right now, you know, working like, and shifting. 
I mean, go go into the Zoom pricing page and look at the different bundles and you'll see how they think about their different audiences. So we're now joined by Arne, who has a question. Yeah, hi everybody. I'm also working with CoLabel. Uh, thanks for the great presentation. Really appreciate it. I have uh, two questions. Uh, the first is, what are the fundamentals you are you were speaking about earlier? So, is it just uh, name and logo, website, colors, and tagline, oh. or are there other things on the checklist that should I be taken care of very early on? And the second one. Uh, the other one would be um, how you can measure how we are doing on the branding with uh, rather low traffic on our website or in general on the channel. So if we are not like e-commerce or something like that. Okay. Oh, in terms of KPIs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so so here's the thing. In, in terms of what fundamentals, I mean, the most fundamental thing I think is, you know, have a brand strategy. And your brand strategy can be, you can define that strategy in a single line. Other than that is have a platform, which means some kind of a narrative version of what your brand is about. Um, and then I would say probably the most fundamental uh, things that you need is, yes, is name, logo, and a basic identity around color and graphic language and, and those kind of things. Beyond that, beyond that, Uh, it really depends on where you are and, and what your needs are, whether you need collateral or you need, uh, you know, a website and, and how much do you invest in your website as opposed to other channels and those kind of things. But you need to kind of like you have you need to have the fundamentals of the story and the fundamentals of the sign system that you are using to communicate that story. So that's the first question. The KPI question, you know, I wish it was a simple, there was a simple answer to that, but the, there's no simple answer really. First, because um, marketing in general, it's very hard to completely separate the impact of marketing. Um, it's very it's much easier to separate the impact of a campaign, right? Campaigns are more measurable. Now, if you notice your campaigns keep failing despite you thinking there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the mechanics, then it might be that there's something wrong with the brand. Um, but basically, if your brand is good, it will kind of like serve as a factor on making campaigns more effective or making conversion rates higher. So the best uh, KPIs, um, it, you know, it really depends on your business model. And, you know, we're not going to start a mini MBA here, but uh, pure brand trackers are usually about whether you own the mental space you were going for. So you can have some sort of a brand tracker and simply, and simply check via surveys or other means whether you are hitting those kind of attributes that you're aiming for and that's one way of measuring your brand you can do that even internally at some point with employer brands you you want to see how aligned are the team with the vision with the values those kind of things and then there are things you could measure like awareness sentiment purchase intents uh, nps is slightly you know is is simple but sometimes problematic um, 
but you know you can measure different things across the funnel uh top of mind recall share of voice that is obviously later not in in the early early days um I mean, it's again, it's unlikely you'll be able to purely isolate it, but I, that is true for most business actions. You know, most actions and things you do, you can see the, met- the metrics moving. Um, and then, you know, once you get to a point where you have distinctive campaigns, then you can measure the, the success of those campaigns. A successful brand drives some costs down, by the way. It's not even about KPIs, it's about driving costs down. Uh, and but also you know advertising is something that you have to do and do more and more the more you grow it's you know you can never stop advertising really wonderful so we got a question from um Bouts where he asked uh can you give some real life examples of where and how the advice that you've provided today was implemented successfully um right so recent favorite projects uh with startups um i think you know i mean a lot of my recent startups are the the startups that i still can't really talk about i think historically you know i will just tell my favorite story so my favorite story is um a startup from um about 15 years ago, I think, uh, which was um, um, a, a Firefox add-on. Imagine that. Now, the work I did with them was essentially sitting in a hotel room. Uh, it was called Foxy Tunes, and it sold to Yahoo. That's the end of that story. I'm preempting the ending. Um, but I basically sat, I sat with the founders for an hour in a hotel room uh, where our travel paths managed to cross. And then I took a couple of days and I wrote their story down and came up with a couple of, uh, um, you know, points to a manifesto. And uh, a couple of, you know, a couple, uh, it was like less than two years later when they sold to Yahoo, um, the founder told me specifically, he said, that being able to get them to get us to get us what we're about that was down to be being able to define the uh, to define the brand uh, another recent uh, work we've done is with uh, a invest an investment uh, platform called in in uh, intertrader which is uh, you can you can find that online and we helped guide some of their advertising and their look and feel and those kind of things. Uh, but yeah, but you know, that historical story is just for me an example of how even just very simple conversations without the big campaigns, without the big deliverables that have their place. And you know, you can spend a lot of money on, on some of those, but it just makes a difference to the historical uh what was implemented okay i see um okay so um two recent clients that you can a couple of recent clients you can look at um there's a there's a client called netitude um now it's a bit unfair what i'm doing here they are a very big player in the uh, cybersecurity consulting space um and they are just starting so what we've done with them they had a very generic boring identity and we are helping them slowly 
bring to life their uh, their brand. Um, cybersecurity is a very cliched category. Usually you see those uh, ones and zeros and you see uh, the bad guys, the bad hackers in hoodies over their keyboards. If you go into uh, the Nexitude website and you look at what they do, you will see that they are now much more trying to resonate with uh, with what the clients are feeling through uh, ads, through website creative, just changing the metaphors a little bit. Uh, my favorite ad from their campaign was simply uh, an ad that showed a roller coaster from the point of view of the rider about to going to take a very sharp and deep uh, dive. And the title said, not quite the learning curve you had in mind because you know the learning curve on cybersecurity can sometimes be really scary and stressful so so you know uh, seek out netitude and intertrader and you'll be able to see how between tweaks to how they look and feel and what they do over their advertising uh, they are trying to become more human and and more focused on you know bringing more of the emotional side and tend and tell their stories in more compelling ways so those are some examples i hope that answers the question awesome thank you uri and thanks to everyone who joined us um we hope to be doing a lot more of these and and, and we'll tell you about the upcoming ones in a second but um uri thank you so much for for sharing some insights here yeah um, as I, I think you can all see this is the place where the left and the right brain meet, and um, it can be a significant value driver, but it, but it is, uh, I think, a difficult process for a lot of people to get their heads around and, and sometimes requires a bit of specialized help. So uh, if we can be helpful in anything here, please let us know. Um, yeah. And do you want to tell us a little bit about our upcoming sessions? Absolutely. So we have a number of really exciting sessions coming up. Our next one will be on product management with Jerry Dishler, who's a VP on product at Google. Um, then we also have enterprise product strategies with Vivek. Um, he's an investor at Mayfield. And then our, um, another session that we already have live is Mistakes Slowing Your Growth with Guy Pore, who also happens to be an advisory partner at Angular Ventures. So thank you everyone so much for joining us. We hope you really enjoyed the session. If you have any other follow-up questions, please feel free to reach out and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Thanks, all. everyone. Thanks. Thank you very much. Keep safe. Thanks.